Welcome to Between the Stitches, a baseball show, part of the Phenomenal Fan Media Group. Let's go! Wow. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Between the Stitches Baseball Only Show, part of the Phenomenal Fan Media Group. And if you're listening to episode 35, you knew that already. But if you didn't, now you do. Today is April 24th, 2023. It's been a couple weeks since we last recorded. And that doesn't matter because we wanted to let things play out. We talked about it on our last episode about how people love to sit around early in the baseball season and make these wild assumptions and predictions and estimations based on sample sizes that are just simply too small. Too small. Our last episode on April 10th, what is that, a week into the season? 10 days into the season? There's just not enough there. There's not enough on the platter to make fair assessments of every team in the sport. As it stands right now, the average number of games played by teams in the major leagues right now is anywhere between 20 to 22 games played. That, to me, it's over 10% of the season, first of all. It's a big enough sample size where teams have played enough games on the road, at home, and everywhere in between. They've gone through the rotation, what, four or five times now? So you've seen what some guys have, what some guys don't have. You've given some guys who've started off hot the opportunity to mellow out a little bit. You've given some guys the opportunity who started off ice cold to bounce back and show their true colors, right? You talk about a guy like Alec Manoa, for example, who in his first three or four starts, he put up some pretty bad numbers. And a lot of people, a, a lot of people credited that just simply towards changing his pitching style with the pitch clock. Manoa was one of the guys in the, in the major leagues, one of the starting pitchers that averaged, I think he was like the second slowest or maybe let's say the second longest time on average between pitches as a starting pitcher in uh, Major League Baseball last season. So then he comes into this season, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, all of a sudden he has to speed up. He has to go 15 seconds between pitches, 20 seconds with guys on base. It was an adjustment period for him, even with the spring training starts, and I'm sure the work he did in the bullpen – and then he comes out in his most recent start against the Yankees over the weekend, throws seven shutout innings after having three or four starts early in the season that were really bad. A couple of starts, he didn't get out of like the third inning. And then he goes seven shutout against the Bronx Bombers in New York, right? Gives a guy like that an opportunity to kind of reel it back in, make an adjustment, figure out where he is, and be good again because we know Alec Manoa is good. So. That's what we're going to be talking about today is now that we've given 
everybody some time to level out, be normal, good enough sample size. We'll make some fair assessments based on where baseball is here today on April 24th, episode 35 of Between the Stitches. So, as we like to do on every episode, and you guys know this already, we're going to be going over the standings and using that sort of as a springboard for our talking points in today's episode. And we go American League, the National League, East to West. So, as it always pertains to our standings read-off on this show, we're going to start with the American League East. And before we get into it, I need to make sure I get enough coffee in my system to dial this in. All right, so give me a coffee break. Drink it out of my San Diego Padres uh, thermos, I guess you would call it. I lost, I broke the lid, but you know, it doesn't matter. Go pods. Let's dive in. AL East, the biggest story, I think, of baseball so far in the 2023 season. The biggest story of baseball this year is the Tampa Bay Rays. Sitting here at 19 and three, plus 88 on the run differential. They've won five in a row. Every time you look up, they don't seem to lose. The games that they have lost, by the way, they lost one to Cincinnati. That was just how baseball works sometimes, right? Even uh, the worst teams beat good teams every once in a while. A blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while, as they like to say. But the Rays are sitting at 19-3. and three. Just for clarification, the Rays could lose 15 games in a row. 15 games in a row. They could go two weeks without a win and still be over 500. In April. What's uh, what's the line from John Henry, or at least the actor who plays John Henry in Moneyball, when he has Billy Bean come visit him in, at Fenway Park? Something among the lines of anybody who's not tearing down their current team. Anybody who's not building their let's let's find it on YouTube. Let's find it on YouTube. John Henry Moneyball. And it's 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 something among the lines of here it is. Steve told me he's a what? Baseball baseball game. Well lost Damon, Giambi, and sixty thousand. This is threatening not just a way that they do things. Hands on the switch. Building it using your there it is. time that happens, whether it's a government or let's see. So he's talking to Billy Bean about you know, how much success he's had as the Oakland A's general manager with the limited payroll that he's been dealing with and all these different things. Or way okay. of doing business or whatever it is, the people who are holding the reins have their hands on the switch. They go batshit crazy. Because he's, as, as a general manager of a team like the Oakland A's, he's continuing to have a ton of success despite the fact that his money availability and his payroll is not very high. And because of that, John Henry, who ends up offering Billy Bean a job as the general manager for the Red Sox, is talking to Billy about how this 
his model and, and the way the Oakland A's go about their business is threatening the rest of these teams because these teams operate on such high payrolls and they aren't able to produce as much as the Oakland A's are. And the Oakland A's have a third or a quarter of the payroll these other teams are working with. So this is what he says. I mean, anybody who's not tearing their team down right now and rebuilding it using your model, they're dinosaurs. They're dinosaurs. And that right there is exactly how I see the Tampa Bay Rays. In 2023, when money appears to be tighter than ever, not just in the sport of baseball, but across the world, in the current economic environment that we find ourselves in. And some teams seem to be handling the issue of winning World Series by throwing gobs and gobs of money at the problem. And I'll be the first one to say, as a Padres fan, that's a prime example. The Padres dropping loads and loads and loads of money on a roster in hopes to potentially win the World Series. And so far, with the roster construction they have, it appears that they're going to be competitive enough to get into the World Series. Same thing with the Yankees. Gobs and gobs of money. Going down the list, the Mets, gobs and gobs of money. The Dodgers could probably fit into that category of throwing money at a problem, right? The Dodgers would fall in. The Rays are not in that category. They do not throw money at their issues. They do not approach things as how much money do we need to solve this problem? In fact, they go about it and solve it in a more creative way. And like John Henry said in Moneyball, anybody who's not tearing their team down or didn't tear their team down and rebuild it using the Rays model, they are dinosaurs. Because who knows how the Rays are going to end up actually finishing when the postseason is, is over, right? Who knows? The Rays got to the World Series and the COVID shortened 2020. Right? The Rays got to the postseason last year. The one issue with Tampa Bay that appears to surface itself, similarly to what the Oakland A's ran into in the early 2000s with Billy Bean. And maybe... That's just the nature of baseball and the postseason itself. But the Rays seem to consistently build this juggernaut team that's highly competitive, highly productive, with such a limited payroll and such limited resources, and with a roster that seems to be a hodgepodge of a bunch of different types of players that fit in in different roles on their team. And I think analytically speaking, what the Rays do with their roster construction and how they build their team, it's set up for sustained success over a long period of time. One month, three months, five months, which is why it's not really a coincidence that Tampa Bay finds themselves competitive every year. And in some cases, amongst the top teams in the league based on their record, because they go out, they construct their roster based on the sport of baseball and the analytics involved that project for 
winning games with the analytical formula that they use. Now, when you get to the postseason in Major League Baseball, all of that stuff is out the window. It's gone. And that might be the issue that the Rays run into on a consistent basis. I mean, look at some of the teams over the last 10, 12, 15 years that went on to win the World Series that came in as a wild card team that nobody predicted to win the World Series going into the postseason. Nobody picked these teams to win it all when the playoffs started, and then they go on and do it anyways. I mean, the Giants in 10, 12, and 14 won the World Series, and all three of those years, they were a wild card team. The Nationals in 2019, a wild card team. Last year in the postseason, my Padres with 89 wins beat the Dodgers with 111 wins. But it's a five-game series, smaller sample size. And in that situation with the sport of baseball and the nature of how it unfolds, that can happen to a team. And it has happened to the Rays over and over and over again. And I feel bad for them. I really do because I hope the Rays can make a bit of a deeper run into the postseason. The other thing that's that's a little bit frustrating for me as a baseball fan is how a team like Tampa Bay, with the limited resources they have, and the baseball environment that they have down in St. Petersburg, that they're still able to just pump out an, an unbelievable baseball team. It's frustrating because I don't feel like that team is fully appreciated, not just even in Tampa Bay, but across the sport of baseball. Because I've been to Tampa Bay. I've been to the Tropicana Field Stadium. Like, I, I, I've I, been inside Tropicana recently. And that place, let me tell you, is a dump. And I think that's universally agreed upon uh, amongst anybody that's been in that stadium. It stinks. And yet, well, let me say this, on top of it, their average attendance is, is always somewhere in the bottom third of the league. Always. If not in the bottom five of the league. And every single year, Tampa Bay finds themselves with 94 wins, 96 wins, 100 wins. Better than teams like the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Orioles, all these teams with historic baseball relevancy in their own division. Oh, who won the American League East this year? Tampa Bay. And then the postseason comes around, the Rays show up, and then they get beat by these teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox. So it, it is incredibly frustrating. But that's one thing I'd say for sure about the Tampa Bay Rays. As they said at 19-3 and three, in the year 2023, with all this money being thrown around by all these different teams, the Padres, the Yankees, the Mets, the Dodgers, these payrolls exceeding 200, 250, 300 million. The race sit there at 70, 75 million dollar payroll, 19 and 3 record. And as John Henry said in Moneyball, anybody who's not tearing down their team and rebuilding it using their model, they're dinosaurs. They're completely forgotten. And they're going to be forgotten come October. And no one 
No one says anything about it. I think the other talking point, again, is we haven't even moved on from the American League East in the standings. We'll move on to the American League Central. And actually, we'll, we'll, we haven't even finished the American League East. The Rays are 19-3. and three, The Baltimore Orioles are 14-7. and seven, The Yankees are 13-9. and nine, The Blue Jays are 13-9. and nine, And the Red Sox are 12-11. and 11. So everybody in the American League East is over 500 right now, which is good for baseball, I think. I don't think anybody expected the Red Sox to be near the top of that division. I don't think they will be. The Yankees in Toronto just finished a series against each other. Good back and forth matchup. Uh, it was it was a good series, and I think both teams are are set up for success. Uh, but right as of right now, the top two teams in the American League East are the Rays and the Orioles. I mean, come on, I love it. I love it, honestly. In the American League Central, the Twins are in first place as of right now at twelve and ten. The Cleveland Guardians are 11 and 11. Detroit, 7 and 13. The White Sox are 7 and 15. Kansas City, it's 5 and 17. So, kind of where everybody expected that division to be. I think those standings could and should hold up over the course of this season. I, I fully expect. I fully expect Cleveland and Minnesota to go on hot streaks at different times throughout this year and those guys to kind of flip-flop and battle. But ultimately, I think the Twins are just a little bit better. So where the standings are right now with Minnesota in first, Cleveland in second, Detroit in third, White Sox in fourth, Kansas City Royals in fifth, if that's exactly how it ended up finishing at the end of the year, I wouldn't be shocked at all. In the American League West, the Rangers are in first place right now, 14-7. and seven. They're playing really good baseball. They're getting really good starting pitching. Their offensive production is bananas. I mean, they are smashing the ball. Everybody in their lineup is smashing the ball. And 14-7 and seven for them, is it sustainable? I don't know. Are they going to finish in first place in that division? I don't know. Talk to me in August and September in the dog days of summer when things start to get a little bit tougher. And you have two different teams competing potentially for that first place spot in the American League West in, let's just say hypothetically, the Rangers and the Astros. Which one of those teams has more experience in sustaining a winning culture uh, and winning back-to-back-to-back series in August and September? And then you look up all of a sudden and the Astros have a five-game lead on the Rangers September 10th. You're like, what happened? I thought the Rangers were in first place at the All-Star break. Yeah, they were, you know, but they went. 15 and 22 over their last you know month and a half and the Astros went 22 and 15 right I mean it's not like it's a huge sample size it's it's 35 40 games but the Astros have been have been there before so I wouldn't be surprised if the Astros ultimately was finish in first place in that division but as of right now the Rangers are smashing the ball the other talking point there in the American League West the Oakland A's sit at the bottom of the AL West at 4-18. and 18. The ownership group for the Oakland A's just bought out some land to potentially build a stadium in Las Vegas. To nobody's surprise. Now, Oakland, as a community, has, is on its way. Oakland is on its way to losing three 
major sports franchises in a span of five years. I mean, first you have the Oakland Raiders up and moving to Las Vegas and relocating, which I think ended up being a smart decision for the ownership group of the Raiders, but ultimately it's it sucks for, for Oakland. Then you had the Golden State Warriors, who were located in Oakland, right next to the Oakland A Stadium. They up and moved to San Francisco, which if you talk to anybody in Oakland, they do not associate San Francisco and Oakland as the same place. They're completely different areas, and the Golden State Warriors up and moved. Now you have the Oakland A's moving to Las Vegas, most likely, and you just have to feel for the people in Oakland because the bottom line is they're not going to go out and watch and see a team like the team that the Oakland A's have fielded over the last few years. Yeah, you know, attendance numbers are down. The ownership wants to move the team, right? They're going to get more support potentially in in an area like Las Vegas, yada, yada, yada. Well, they don't get a lot of support in Oakland because their team has always stuck. And then when they were good and had a couple playoff runs and a couple really productive years, the Oakland Coliseum was was jam-packed. But when a team stinks like the Oakland A's do, they're not going to get the support. They're just not. So it's really sad, man. It's sad for the Oakland A's fan base. It's sad for the fans of Oakland. Uh, but ultimately, man, I think in terms of growing the game, making baseball better, I think it's a good thing for baseball. And it sucks to say, just for the fans of Oakland, but anybody, you know, you talk to anybody in the NFL about the Raiders moving from Oakland to Vegas, and any and everybody would sit there and tell you, like, yeah, this is better for, for the league. You know, it's better for... Better... In all aspects. And now, if you build a new stadium in Las Vegas, I mean, it's going to host all-star games. It's going to host, you know, all kinds of different stuff. And Oakland just never really had that capability. Even if they built a new stadium. I mean, it would just, it would be tough. So, um, it's tough for Oakland, but yeah. I mean, they're 4-18. and 18. They have a minus 103 run differential. I mean, and they've played 22 games. I mean, they're losing on average by five runs a game. Every game. Tough. It's tough for Oakland, man. It's tough. But anyways, moving on to the National League here as we go to the NL East. The Atlanta Braves are 14-8. and eight. The Mets are 14-9. and nine, So half game difference there just with the Mets having one more lost than the Atlanta Braves. The Miami Marlins, 12 and 10. Phillies are 11 and 12, and the Nationals are 7 and 14. This division's a prime example of how things have started to work themselves out. And what I mean by that is the Phillies started off the year 11 and, or, or, uh, like, five and 10 or something. They were just not very good to start the year. A lot of their pitching wasn't 
maybe necessarily ramped up and ready to go. Their hit their offensive stars sort of struggled for a while. I mean, Trey Turner had had you know one homer in twenty games. Like I said, they were like five games under five hundred. Now they're a game under five hundred. The Marlins were a couple four, five, six games over five hundred. Now they're only two games. So, like I said, things will start to kind of average themselves out, especially once teams start playing better teams and worse teams and and things like that. I mean, the, I think the most impressive thing about the uh, the National League East is that the Braves are sitting there at fourteen and eight. They just got swept at home by the Astros, and yet they're still sitting there on the top of the division of 14-8 and eight with a plus-24 run differential after getting swept. That's pretty impressive, if you ask me. The Mets are 14-9. They've started to make their way back up the standings. They didn't start off the year very hot either, but 14-9 is very respectable, and as is the case with most people's expectations, those two teams at the top of the National League East in the Mets and Braves People expect them to battle it out all year long. Now, in the NL Central, who's in first place? You'll never guess, unless you're following baseball, in which case you know who it is. Pittsburgh Pirates are sitting there at 16-7. and seven. The Milwaukee Brewers are 15-7. and seven. The Cubs are 12-9. and nine. St. Louis is 9-13. and 13. And the Reds are 7-15. The Pittsburgh Pirates are 16 and 7. Are the Pirates are the Pittsburgh Pirates good? Here's my answer, okay? Here's what I say on that. Probably not. But they got nothing to lose. And that is apparent in their 16-7 and record so far this season. Plus 25 run differential. The problem is, as a team, they're sort of outplaying themselves at the moment. And maybe it's sustainable. Maybe it, it... it stays this way throughout the entire year. But sitting there right now in the major, in in all of Major League Baseball, for the Pirates to sit there at 8th in Team OPS and 7th in Team ERA, nobody expected that. Nobody predicted that. They're outplaying expectations right now. But as we know, over the course of 162-game season, things will start to average and level themselves out a little bit. And I think most people fully expect the Pirates to be an under 500 team. Now, that could be, that could happen. I think it's more likely that happens than the Pirates maintain the current level of play they have. But that being said, man, good for the Pirates. I don't think there's anybody on the planet right now who's looking at the Pirates' current situation and saying, oh, yeah, no, they, why, that's stupid. No, it's great for baseball to have a team like Pittsburgh good and relevant at the moment. Now, they are going on to play the Dodgers here shortly in, uh, at home, but they're playing the, you know, like that things will start to level themselves out. But as of right now, April 24th, the Pirates are 16 and 7, and it's awesome. In the National League West, the Dodgers are 12 and 11. The, the Diamondbacks are 12 and 11. The Padres are 12 and 12. 
And then San Francisco's eight and thirteen. The Rockies are six and seventeen. So the NL West has three teams within a game. Dodgers at twelve and eleven. Diamondbacks at twelve and eleven. Padres at twelve and twelve. The Diamondbacks are sort of in that same area as the Pittsburgh Pirates as far as outplaying expectations for the moment. Again, things will start to level themselves out as the season starts to unfold. I mean, a prime example is the Dodgers just having played. I keep saying the Dodgers. The Diamondbacks, the Arizona Diamondbacks, just having played the Padres in Arizona in a four-game series, and the Padres come in and they take three of four. And as a Padres fan, I watched every single game. The Padres didn't really even play their best baseball at all. And they still took three or four. So, again, like I said, things will start to potentially level themselves out. But ultimately, I think the the Diamondbacks are in a good place. They have a ton of really good prospects, really good pitching. They'll be fine. I think the main storyline looking across Major League Baseball, the main storyline are these teams that nobody expected to be good that at the moment are amongst the best in the entire league. You look at a team like Tampa Bay. Yeah, you know, people expected people expected them to be competitive, but they weren't picked to be 19 and 3 through 22 games. Tampa Bay is 19 and 3. The Orioles are 14 and 7. The Pittsburgh Pirates are 16 and 7. The Dodgers I keep saying the Dodgers the Diamondbacks are 12 and 11. And you go across, how many, let me, let me say this. How many people before the season predicted teams like the Diamondbacks, the Pirates, the Rays, and the Orioles to all make the postseason? I would tell you it's not many, if anybody at all, would have those four teams in the postseason. I understand it's 22 games into the season, but those four teams, as of right now, would be in the playoffs amongst all the teams that get in. Things will level themselves out as the season starts to unfold. It's a long season. Injuries and the law of averages and everything in between that can determine how a team finishes at the end of the year. But one thing is glaringly obvious about all these teams that are exceeding expectations at the moment, and that is these teams are playing with a looseness with a confidence, with no expectations, and they're taking advantage of all those things. When you look at a team like the Arizona Diamondbacks, they probably aren't where they are now at the at first place in the NL West if it isn't for their ability to steal bases. The new rules get implemented. They realize as a, as a team, one of their major strengths is speed, and all of a sudden, they are running like they're running all over everybody. They're sixth in stolen stolen bases. And actually, I'll throw I'll throw the Cubs into that mix too. So again, to summarize, you got teams like Tampa Bay, Baltimore. Pittsburgh, Chicago Cubs, Arizona Diamondbacks, who all sit there as of right now with very respectable records. And in some cases, those teams are all in the postseason. 
But why? Why are they playing so well? Because all those teams have one thing in common. They have nothing to lose. They have absolutely no expectations. And new rules get implemented. These teams realize, hey, with these new rules, pitch clock, limited pickoffs, everything in between, they realize they can start to take advantage of those parts of the game that weren't available to them in last year's structure of baseball. Look at the two, three, and four in stolen bases this year in Major League Baseball. In second, the Baltimore Orioles. In third, the Pittsburgh Pirates. In fourth, the Chicago Cubs. Try to sit there and tell me these teams didn't come into this season looking to take advantage of the new rule changes. And because they have, now they find themselves having success. And in a lot of cases, just because they steal bases, you know, that doesn't mean anything for the production of a team because, yeah, you could steal second and you could steal third, but you still got to get a base hit to drive the guy in. And then they do. Or in a lot of cases, just the fact of them stealing a base or stealing an extra base or getting bigger leads or doing those types of things, it's creating a different factor that a lot of people aren't taking into account. And it's the speed. It's the uncomfortable nature of the opposing pitcher. It's the energy. It's the spark plug. It's all these different things that you can't necessarily quantify on a piece of paper, but are ultimately contributing to these teams being really good, at least for the first month or so of the season. Nobody in the sport picked the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Cubs, the Orioles, or the Rays to all finish the season with winning percentages above 600. But as of right now, all those teams are on pace to do that. And that, how, why? Because they got nothing to lose. They're, play, they're not playing for anybody. And then you look at these other teams, the Phillies, under 500, the Padres, 500 team. The Yankees, oh, let's let's just go by, let's just go with standings, right? The Yankees are in third place. The Blue Jays are in third place. The Angels are in third place. The Phillies are in fourth place. The Padres are in third place. All these teams that have tons and tons of money that are throwing money at their current rosters that find themselves kind of in the middle of the pack. Why? Because they're playing with the weight of the world on their shoulders. And these other teams that have smaller payrolls, that have way fewer expectations, are playing better baseball than them right now because they're playing with nothing to lose. And that in itself, in baseball, is vitally important. Like, if I was an owner in Major League Baseball, I would be torn between spending as much money as I possibly can to construct the best roster that I possibly can and potentially trying to stay in the middle to, to top 40% of payrolls, but developing young talent, making sure expectations stay minimal for my team so that my guys can play loose and free with nothing to lose. Because... When you mix all that together and you put that into a recipe, you come across a team like the Baltimore Orioles who are 14 and 7 and playing inspired baseball. You come across a team like the Pittsburgh Pirates who are 16 and 7 playing unbelievable baseball right now. So 
it depends where we are at the end of the year. But I think it's a great thing for baseball, at least right now, to see these teams being competitive. I mean, to summarize, if the postseason started today, if the postseason started today, the Rays would win the American League East. The Baltimore Orioles would be the first American League wildcard team. The Pittsburgh would win the NL Central. The Pittsburgh. The Pirates would win the National League Central. The Diamondbacks would win the National League West. And the Cubs would be in the wildcard. How could that be happening? Why is that happening? Because those teams have nothing to lose this year. No expectations. They're in the process, in some cases, of building towards becoming a competitive team. But when you change the rules, when you make stolen bases easier, when you have a team that's got nothing to lose, it levels the playing field against some of the better teams who are playing super tight with a ton of expectations, who have a roster that's not necessarily constructed to, and they have rosters that aren't tailored towards these new rule changes like stolen bases and speed and athleticism and everything else. And you get a, you get a spot where the Pittsburgh Pirates have the best record in the National League. And I love it. I love it. Taking a quick look here at uh, offensive leaders across Major League Baseball. couple of names that start to stand out for me at the top of this list. As far as offensive production, OPS, right now I'm looking at a guy like Brandon Marsh for the Phillies. Right now he's got a 12-13 OPS. Currently leads all of baseball. Got 66 at-bats. He's got 21 games played. Like he, He's a regular. Got a 12-13 OPS. That's crazy. Max Muncy is absolutely um, on fire. Like, like nuclear, nuclearly on fire. Nuclearly, I don't think is a word, but maybe it should be to describe how Max Muncy's playing baseball right now. Guy's got 11 homers. He's got 11-29 OPS. I mean, he's got 11 home runs in 22 games. Uh, it's, I mean, he's on pace for, um, you know, for the half the games he's got, he's on pace for 81 homers right now, basically crazy. It's not going to happen, but it's crazy. Got a guy like Matt Chapman in Toronto. I think he leads all of major league baseball in barrel percentage, like, or hard hit percentage. Like he is annihilating the baseball. He's got five homers, but he has 10 doubles in 21 games. Uh, That's good for an 11-22 OPS for Matt Chapman. How about James Outman, outfielder for the, the Dodgers? Actually, let, let, me, let, me, let me make sure that piece of the game is covered also. And it's, it starts with the, just a generalized question. How do the Dodgers do it? Every single year. 
every year. They have guys that they call up from the minor leagues or guys that they pick up from other teams that previously were worthless along with the prospects that they call up, and they turn all of them into all-stars. All of them into all-stars. Max Muncy, his previous team, the Oakland A's, before the Dodgers. Yeah, I'll, I'll make it more clear for people. Before Max Muncy played on the Dodgers, he was on the Oakland A's, and they straight up released him. Right now, he's second in the league in OPS, and he's like a four-time All-Star. Chris Taylor was a a big league service guy. Chris Taylor bounced around the league, had no value, to be honest, for most teams, which is why the Dodgers picked him up and turned him into an All-Star. And then, as a team, they lose Trey Turner, Justin Turner, Cody Bellinger, all on the offensive side of the ball, and they're like, well, we'll just call up this James Altman guy in the outfield, and uh, he's going to just destroy the baseball. And he's fourth in OPS in all of baseball. How is that happening? It's, inf- it's infuriating that they just do it over and over and over. I mean, whatever. You know, it is what it is. Um... Yeah, I mean, the rest of this list is a bunch of guys that I don't want to say are expected to be up there, but, you know, looking at overall OPS in the league. A couple of guys stick out. I mean, Nolan Gorman uh, for the Cardinals, off to a great start. Jared Kelnick for the, the Mariners. That one, you know, Kelnick was a guy, highly touted prospect, so I think it's, I think it's okay that he's there now, right? Like, I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, it's a shock that Jared Kelnick is eighth in the league in OPS. Because I think he was kind of projected to be that guy early in his career. He just came up and struggled so bad that it's definitely more of a feel-good story now that he's coming out and having a lot of success. Uh, you got Braves catcher Sean Murphy up there. I guess that's a little bit of a surprise. But the rest of these guys, man, Acuna at 10, you know, Rizzo at 13, Vladdy at 15, Bogarts at 16, Pete Alonzo. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's uh, it's expected. I think the rest of these guys. So um looking forward here to the 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 scheduling and the different series that are going to be going on here. Um you got a couple of interesting matchups here. Again, you've got, you know, previously if you looked at it and you saw Dodgers and Pirates, you'd say, "Ah, well, not not really that interesting." But it's the Dodgers in Pittsburgh against the team that has the best record in the National League in the Pittsburgh Pirates. A couple of other intriguing matchups. The Mariners in Philadelphia should be interesting. 
let's see. The Padres at Chicago against the Cubs should be interesting. The Twins hosting the Yankees should be interesting. So there's some good, intriguing, fun matchups over the next few days. But the last thing that we want to talk about here is, and we won't spend too much time on it, but it's the Scherzer sticky stuff situation. And I again, I don't want to spend too much time on it because... It's it's pretty much gone and done. But Scherzer gets suspended for 10 days for violating the, the sticky stuff rules in Major League Baseball. As pitchers, you can't use foreign substances to, to stick on the baseball. But then you look at the demonstration done by David Cohn on Sunday Night Baseball in regards to the, the Scherzer sticky stuff situation and how apparently when Scherzer was using rosin and sweat, it, it was too sticky, according to the umpire, so he had to go in the bathroom with, like, an MLB official and clean off his hands using, like, rubbing alcohol or something. But then when you combine rubbing alcohol with rosin, it becomes more sticky and then Scherzer gets ejected and all this stuff. And it's like, uh, it goes back to what we've talked about with Major League Baseball as a league in, in general. If Major League Baseball and the commissioner's office and the league as a whole spent as much time marketing their players and growing the game internationally and doing all the things that these other leagues do to maintain relevancy. If they spend as much time doing that as they do enforcing new rules, trying to change the sport, checking pitchers for foreign substances, ejecting star players over disputes with the pitch clock. If they spend as much time marketing the game, marketing their players and trying to grow the game internationally as they do changing rules and ejecting and suspending star players for rule violations, baseball would be the most popular sport in the entire world. They're, the the office of Major League Baseball and the league are going about their approach of the game and the growing of the game so poorly. I mean, you're sitting there right now. Um, and I did this demonstration earlier. Now, let's see. NBA standings. Um, all right, let's go to, let's go to like the Western Conference. Okay, let's go to the Spurs. So, San Antonio Spurs stats. Okay. So we'll go to the Spurs stats, and then we'll go to individual player statistics in Major League Baseball. Um, okay. Why? Okay. Elise Johnson looks like is the.
I mean, that's crazy that he's got that many followers. Uh, let's see. Jordan, Jordan Hall. Jordan Hall. Nope, that's not him. You guys don't have... Dominic Barlow. My point I'm trying to make is I'm looking at the worst team in the Western Conference in the NBA and looking at their points. Or let's say, let's do like games played. That that's I think that's a little bit more I think that's a little bit more fair. Char who's Charles Bassey? I don't I have no idea who that is. A lot of these guys don't have a lot of these guys don't have Instagrams, which is super annoying. Okay. So there's a good example. All right. So we're going to look at the co comparison between. these two players. And I think this is a pretty fair comparison, right? So major league baseball sits there and talks about, well, we need to make the game faster. We need to make it quicker. We need to make a better product, easier for people to watch all these different things, rule changes, ejecting star players over rule change disputes, suspending players over substance usage as a pitcher, right? Scherzer has been suspended 10 games. Manny Machado has been ejected over a pitch clock dispute. They're doing all these things that they think are going to change the game. And like I said previously, if Major League Baseball spent as much time worrying about marketing their players and expanding the game internationally and letting the players' personalities, uh, letting the players' personalities show themselves on the field to increase human interest, if they spent as much time worrying about that as they currently do about rule changes and pitch clock and pitcher substance usage and all these different things that they think are going to change the game. If they spend as much time marketing the players as they do rule changes, the major league baseball would be the most or second most popular sport in the United States, if not the world. Good example of that. The, the team that finished last placed, uh, if you check the NBA standings, the last place team in the Western Conference, the San Antonio Spurs. I picked a random player on the San Antonio Spurs roster. I have no idea who this guy is. I had never heard of him. Isaiah Roby, a forward who played 42 games for the San Antonio Spurs this year. He averaged four points per game. He averaged 11 minutes per game. And he sits on Instagram right now with 38,000 followers which is a pretty respectable number as a general, you know, when you talk about Instagram followers, and it's a pretty respectable number, 38.2 thousand. In Major League Baseball, the team with the best record in the entire sport is the Tampa Bay Rays at 19-3. and Their best offensive player currently is Yandy Diaz. 
Yandi Diaz has 5,000 Instagram followers. He has four posts. Now, I understand some guys just don't like to be on social media. I get that. I totally understand it. But Yandi Diaz has an Instagram page. And yeah, you know, it doesn't look like he's incredibly active on there. But it also doesn't seem like Major League Baseball is doing anything to promote their players. And if they did, and if they cared about it, and if they focused on that type of marketing like the NBA does, baseball would grow exponentially. But instead, their main concern is make the game faster, make it easier to watch on TV, and make sure nobody breaks the rules. And if they do, eject them and suspend them. It's hard to sit back and watch Major League Baseball claim that they're trying to grow the game with these new rule changes when all it's really resulted in is people focusing more on the pitch clock. A lot of players that were good previously struggling initially out of the gate with the pace of the game being sped up substantially. And star players missing time because of their violation of these rules. With Machado getting ejected over a pitch clock dispute, Max Scherzer being suspended 10 games. 10 games. Because he had rubbing alcohol and rosin on his fingertips. And then you sit on the Rays roster. The best offensive player as of right now is Yandy Diaz. And he's got 5,000 Instagram followers. And in the meantime, Isaiah Roby, who appears to be the backup or third string forward on the San Antonio Spurs, sits there with 38,000 Instagram followers. There's a glaring issue, and it's the marketing of the players, and Major League Baseball is just neglecting that as a whole. And it's tough to watch. It's tough to watch. I think if Major League Baseball took a page out of the NBA's book, Major League Baseball has to take a page out of the NBA's book. Otherwise, they can change as many roles as they want, but the sport as a whole is going to always lose out in popularity to the NFL and the NBA because of the lack of human element personalities involved in the sport and the inability for these players on the baseball field to express themselves. That's just my take though. The pitch clock as a whole, you guys have heard the other episodes. I've, I've, you know, aired it out on the pitch clock a little bit. I think as a whole, the pitch clock isn't like this atrocity. It's not like the worst thing ever. I think it's fair to assume that some people want the game to move quicker. And it's also fair for there to be something in place to make sure players or let's say pitchers specifically, you know, aren't taking 35, 40, 45 seconds between pitches with nobody on base. I mean, that's brutal. That's brutal. So to try to, speed up the general pace of the game as a concept it's not bad but to go from no pitch clock to 15 seconds and then to check guys for foreign substances when you know most guys aren't going to use it because they are checking so vividly so strictly and then to have a guy like Scherzer star pitcher who's one of the faces of the game he's certainly a face of the players association to get struck down like that I mean the whole the whole Max Scherzer getting suspended for a foreign substance is so puzzling to me because 
not including the parts where he swears on his children's lives that he wasn't using any foreign substances and the part where he already got told by the umpires his hands were too sticky. He went and washed his hands and then came out and they were apparently stickier. And the parts where the umpires seem to be on him so much harder than everybody else, to me, it's puzzling that the league would want to do that to begin with uh, over a player like Scherzer who's so popular and so well-known and such a prominent figure in the sport. That part of it, number one, is very puzzling. But number two, he also happens to be basically the face of the players' union in Major League Baseball and the guy who's pushed back the hardest against the league office and the commissioner for the new collective bargaining agreement. And he's been leading that charge and making sure the players get the best representation they possibly can. And now he's getting basically headhunted by the umpires in the league. And now he's suspended 10 games. I Listen, dude, I, I, I got nothing to say on that. I guess if you're Scherzer, you just have to not put anything on your hands ever again. But it's just a little bit fishy. It's a little bit of a weird situation to have the guy who spearheads the Major League Baseball Players Union who's pushed back against the league harder than any other player and he represents the players as a whole to get hammered so hard by these foreign substance checks and now subsequently suspended by the league. It's a little bit fishy for me. I don't know. You guys make your own judgment on that. But it is what it is. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode of Between the Stitches, episode 35. It was a good one. It was a lengthy one. It was an hour long. We spent a lot of time talking about teams and players and all this different stuff. Good for them. We'll see where we are in about a week. Right? You, you, you talk about you talk about some of the, the series we, we mentioned, right? With like the Phillies playing the, uh, I'm sorry, the Pirates, the Pittsburgh Pirates, best team in the National League as of right now, hosting the Dodgers, right? You come, the Dodgers come to town and, and just blow them up and sweep them in three games and no games are close. Like it's, and it's like, uh, uh, okay, you know, like the Pirates, uh, you know, they're not, I mean, they're fine, you know, but they're not that competitive or, or whatever. Um, Then you go through the weekend and you see, you know, the D-backs are playing at Coors Field against the Bad Rockets team. And it's like, if they go to Coors Field, they drop two out of three or whatever. Like, I think some teams will start to really, really show who they are between now and our next episode in a week. So be sure to stay tuned for our episode and be sure to stay tuned into Major League Baseball to uh, see if we can verify some of the things we talked about on today's episode. So hopefully you guys enjoyed episode 35 of Between the Stitches, Baseball Only Show. Be sure to check us out on social media, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, greatly appreciate it. Check us out on those other social platforms, and we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Peace out. Thanks for listening to Between the Stitches. Follow Phenomenal Fan Media on social media for more. And subscribe on Patreon for exclusive content.